Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Time. My name's Taylor Payne. Coming up this week, we're going to be talking to Tom Warville, uh, the stats boffin. He's actually the football analytics writer for The Athletic. He's going to be looking at all the data behind Newcastle United season. We'll talk about the Southampton defeat, and we're going to be having a little chat with Chris, the Sausage King Wolf, about his recent piece about Newcastle United and how they never win anything and what it's like to be a supporter. Chris, how are you doing? I'm fed up, actually, Taylor. I'm You're really fed up. Fed up. Yeah, Why? I'm fed. I'm fed up with you and all these Newcastle United fans expecting you should be in the Champions League every season. <laughs> well, Chris, yes, that's exactly what I was saying as that Southampton game was going on. This just isn't fair. We should be in the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, Mark Lawrenson's analysis on Saturday was just absolutely perfect, and I'm pleased it that was. he said that and made himself look completely moronic. But apart from that, no, I'm good. I'm I'm not too bad at all. Thank you. How about yourself? I'm all right. It's lovely to talk to you again, man. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm enjoying. There's some uh, autumn sunshine going on, and we're we're uh, we're going to have a nice chat. Well, I'll say nice. It's going to be a chat, isn't it? About about Newcastle's recent exploits. Uh, but to start us off, though, Chris, you've got an update on Callum Wilson, haven't you? I have indeed. So a little bit of positivity before we go into the negativity that is just Newcastle United in general. But uh, Callum Wilson obviously limped off uh, against Southampton. Had a bit of a hamstring problem. And there were fe- initial fears that you know it could be this could be several weeks he's out for. There was even a, I think a report suggesting it could be till the end of the year. But uh, my understanding is that initial scans at least have been more positive. It's seen as I think it's a grade one hamstring strain is is the early suggestion, which is that basically okay. the lightest strain you can have, and it's a matter of weeks uh, rather than months. And there Good. is even an outside chance he could be available for Chelsea. Now, I'd say that that's been very optimistic, but they haven't ruled that out yet. He's going to be assessed properly by Newcastle's medical staff now. He's had the, the scan results back and they're going to decide the time frame going forward. But certainly, yeah. it's just a matter of weeks and he, he is going to be, if not available for Chelsea, then you would have thought it will be uh, one of the, the two games after that, so Palace or, or someone like that. So it's, it's a lot more positive because obviously we know how important Callum Wilson is to Newcastle United. Yeah, I mean, and it's not like we have a history of rushing players back early from injury, is it, and, and making things worse? So that should be fine, shouldn't it? Well, if, if, if there's if there's if there's one player you really can't afford to rush back too soon, it's Callum Wilson because I know mm. Newcastle are playing Chelsea at home, but given Chelsea's form at the minute, if you had to almost, I don't, I wouldn't say write off, but if if you sort of accept that that uh, Callum Wilson's probably unlikely to get much of a chance against Chelsea as it is, is it better to just wait a week and make sure he, he's fine and, and fully rested? That would be my approach to it at the moment. But as I say, you still need you're still gonna have more assessments at Newcastle's training ground. This is this is the, they've got the the scan results back and now it's it's for the physios and the medical team to decide, right, how do how do we go forward with this? But the overriding yeah. message is, is far more positive than I think a lot a lot was the fear was on Friday night and Saturday morning. 
Well, that's good. That's a positive to start. Um, and it's good that we've got that out of the way because now we can go back into the nightmare scenario and situation that is Newcastle United on a day-to-day basis. So I'm going to start this off with a quote for you, Chris. This is different, isn't it? So have a listen to this. Everybody needs to look at themselves in the mirror. Everybody had a shit game, to be honest, and we can't continue like this. We had a good game against Everton, then we start a game like this. All of the players need to come together more, and it's what we need to think about. Everybody needs to look at themselves and do a better job. I don't think we can keep going like that. If we keep playing like that, it's not enough. Not my words, Chris. Those are the words of Fabian Scher after the uh, horrific defeat to Southampton on Friday night. Yes, Fabian Scher, he's got, a, he's got an interesting haircut at the minute. Not quite as interesting as Chris Waddles. I don't know if you've seen that. but um, I haven't, no. Just, Chris Waddles he, always good for an interesting haircut, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's, he's sort of... It's almost, it's not quite a mohawk because it's not sticking up, but he's like shaved the sides of his head and he just has his hair that then flicked over going through the middle. It's very, very strange. I'd recommend you you looking that up. But that's totally mm. off topic, so I apologise to everyone for that. No, that's fine. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> Fabian Cher, um, a very, very good looking man and someone who doesn't mince his words um, no. by the sounds of it. But I mean, he's, 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 he's totally right. And this is the exasperation that so many people, so many fans have with Newcastle at the minute is they do veer wildly from a reasonably encouraging performance to absolutely dreadful. And yeah. I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna say something which sort of other people may not agree with, but I actually think Come that Newcastle's baseline performance in most games has been relatively similar. I'd even go as far as to say that the first 45 minutes against Everton wasn't brilliant, just Everton was no. so bad. And then Newcastle were better in the second half. But this is this is something we're getting used to. It just happens to, if the, if the other team plays well or if the other team takes advantage of it, then Newcastle will lose. And, and they've somehow managed to get a point out of Wolves. They've somehow managed to get a point out of Spurs. And Friday, they just came up against a team with so much more more intensity, a clear, defined game plan, an oh, idea of what they were trying to do, and they were just completely outplayed. It was stark, wasn't it? The contrast in the in the tactical approach of the two teams. You could see it from minute one. It was like, oh, Jesus, these are set up really well. And they were pressing and pushing. Uh, and, and Newcastle just didn't have an answer for it. Now, to me, and people might disagree with me with, for this, but that was the worst. That was the worst I've seen us play this season. To me, that was that. I thought we were appalling. I, I, I genuinely do. I thought that was that was one of the worst performances I've seen in the last, I don't know, what ten years, maybe. And I know that's a strong statement, but that's how I feel about that game. I just thought we were absolutely shocking from minute one till the till the end of the game. Well, I mean, there's a lot of competition for that. Award, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Accolade. I don't know what you'd refer to that as. But um, <laughs> but the the thing. So the thing that really frustrated me on Friday was Newcastle United are a team who very rarely played out from the back and try and play through the lines because they're incapable of doing it or they don't really have the personnel to do it. Yeah. And then they did. They managed it for about 10 minutes and setting off against Everton because Everton was so passive. And then they come up against a team who press high, one of the best pressing teams in the Premier League, and they try to play it out from the back. And then they're surprised yeah. when they concede possession in, in dangerous areas and then concede stupid goals by just doing silly things. It was yes. I just did not understand the logic behind that at all. Yeah, we were absolutely the uh, the authors of our own downfall yet again, weren't we, on uh, on Friday night with uh, Miggy Almiron, first of all, and then Sean Longstaff later on, dithering around on the edge of the penalty area, which is not a place to dither, Chris, is it? No, it's not. And the, the concern, again, if you go into a sort of wider uh, set-up sort of... Uh, thought process. Well, why is why is Miguel Almiron even there? Why is he so deep? Why isn't he in a sort of attacking position? Yeah, exactly. He's been played in this midfield role, and you've got Alan Saint Maximan. And I, I think that 
although I agree that he isn't in his best position, I do think that it's it's letting him off a little bit lightly to just blame the recent poor performances on the fact that he's been played in this number 10 role. The number 10 role he's been asked to play in as well, by the way, or the or yeah. second striker role. But he just hasn't been in games and he hasn't looked as, as effective, even when he ha- on the rare occasions he has got the ball. And, and when Newcastle don't have Sam Maximan uh, carrying them upfield, they lack any sort of uh, attack and threat whatsoever. And then you've got the real... I mean, the real issue for me, and I wrote about this after the game on, on Friday, is, is Newcastle's midfield sort of sums them up for me. It's just there's nothing there. It's yeah. a nothingness area. And why why Isaac Hayden was on the bench and didn't come on, I have no idea whatsoever. But beyond that, I just don't... I just don't... I don't understand... Jeff Hendricks sort of sums it up for me. I don't know what his yeah. role is and I don't know what Newcastle are trying to do. And they're both sort of mirror each other at the minute. Yeah, I said on uh, I said on Friday night after the game that, that Jeff Hendrick appeared to be a sentient pile of meat in a football shirt uh, and had absolutely no impact on the game whatsoever you could have you could have put anything you could have put a traffic cone in the middle of midfield it would have done probably would have done more good he was he was just non he was just non-existent but what then happens is you've got Sean Longstaff legging it about you know and and not and not uh not playing to his strengths um and then you've got Miguel Amiron who's having to do loads of defensive donkey work, which, you know, he seems to be willing to do it, but it's not what I want from him. No, and I, I, I still, and, and this is what is becoming exasperating, is that every week you now look at it and you try and work out what is it Newcastle are trying to do, what is it, what was the actual game plan on Friday, and the more I've thought about it, I still can't work out, I, I can't work out how the thought they could win the game. I could maybe think, right, we're, we're just going to try and stick in it. We might try and get a yeah. little draw, but I can't see any pr- thought process of what went on on Friday as to this is how we can try and materially affect this game in attack and sense. I can't work it out. It's not there, is it? I mean, we didn't set up to win the game. We didn't set up to to attempt to score goals. We set up to try and contain Southampton and that just completely failed. The problem is at the minute, Chris, and I mean, like... You know, I'm normally fairly chipper and sort of upbeat about these things, but we are we are an awful football team at the moment. We are really, really bad. And the problem is we are either shit and really lucky and get something, or we're just playing shit. There doesn't appear to be any kind of plan or or, or you know, like strategy to to get us out of that this sort of malaise that we're in at the minute. And and it's starting to get really frustrating, and you can see it on social media with the fans. I know it's a bit of a, you know, it can be a bit of an echo chamber on there, and you're you're reading what you want to read and all that sort of stuff. But people are not happy about this team, the way it's playing, and they're not happy about the way Steve Bruce is setting them up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
So yeah, so we we look ahead to that that Chelsea game with uh, with a bit of trepidation. I would say I'm, I'm I'm not sure what Steve Bruce can do to get this team playing well, but changes have to be made, don't they, Chris? Well, he said himself that changes have to be made, and we've already seen the the formation change so many times I do think that eventually though we need to see some sort of continuity and they need to to settle on something I don't think that the current formation and the current setup is the right one but but they need to find one soon I mean what what interests me I know I know in a second we've got uh Tom Tom Warville our uh, football analytics writer coming up I want I, mm. for us we watch them every week and we see how bad they are I want to actually see what someone who just is looking at the raw data almost can say this is what Newcastle are actually good at and this is maybe what they should focus on Absolutely. Let's see if there's uh, let's see if there's some numbers behind the nonsense uh, with Tom Warville. Here we go. So uh, joining us now is the athletics resident. What do we call you? Stat nerd, analytic person, anal- football analyst. Football analytics analytics writer, if we're going official title. Analytics writer, yes, not stat boffin. I've been told not to call him stat boffin today, so we won't do that. Definitely not. It's Tom Warville. Who's Ville? Warville. Hello, Tom. How are you doing? Hello. Good, thank you. Great to, great to join you guys today. Very Geordie first half of your surname there as well. Yeah, he's Warville. He's Warville, yeah. He is Warville. Who's Ville, is he? Warville. Uh, yes, thanks for joining us, mate. Tom's going to uh, help us sort of navigate our way through the the pitfalls of the data that is behind Newcastle's start of the season. Um, I don't envy you this job at all, mate, to be honest, because it's bad enough just sitting watching the games as a passive fan without having to look into it in any kind of depth. So, what are we going to be? What are we going to be talking about today? Um, I guess just go through uh, and giving a bit of context behind what you've seen on the pitch and, and whether it's any good or not. Um, which we can answer that. The, no. <laughs> we know it's not. We know it's not very good. <laughs> I yeah. guess it's the the degree of how not good it is, and whether the uh, the not goodness rating is better or worse than last season. Well, um, you've got all the technical terms, mate. I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are we going to start with? Uh, I guess we'll start with the team's attack. So, I mean, yeah, Newcastle this season have taken forty three shots, um, which is the fewest in the Premier League. Hmm. Um, but it's kind of it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, Newcastle's chances on average are. Uh, pretty decent quality and for that reason they are the 15th best attack when it comes to expected goals so it means that even though they've taken very few number of shots sometimes though that you know those shots are of decent quality so Newcastle under Bruce that they very much seem more focused on uh, yeah quality over quantity but compared to last season I mean last season they're averaging 10 and a half shots a game this season um, it's 7.7 which is you know that actually is down a- on shots per game down on shots per game, yeah. Wow. So yeah, if you didn't think it could get any worse, it has. Um, <laughs> I can always get worse, mate. It's Newcastle United. <laughs> and well, I mean, another thing that I, I kind of noticed from looking at the data as well, and Chris, it'd be good to hear whether you, you've kind of picked this up from watching, is that um, they seem to have got a lot slower as well. So in terms of like how quickly they moved the ball upfield, you, you know, when in possession they were kind of one of the more quicker teams in the league last year and, and able to hit teams on the counter and using the long ball more. And this season, it's just got so slow. I think they're within the kind of bottom five of teams in terms of speed upfield. Yeah, that, that that sort of would marry with with what we've seen. I mean, last season, a large part of that was, as, as, as you and I wrote about actually, Tom, towards the end of last season, was about Sam Maximan and Almiron carrying the ball upfield. And we, we don't actually see that very much anymore. And I don't think that we actually see even the ball going back 
to front as much anymore. And yeah, Newcastle do seem very slow in whenever they do attack. You don't, you don't, you think with the players they've got and the fact that they've added Ryan Fraser to the team and now they've got Callum Wilson a good running behind. You'd very much imagine, yeah, you play a combination of four of those, then you could you could be a counter attacking team. But they don't really seem to be the counter attacking team that we were last season. That the stats do sort of marry out from what we've seen. I think. I mean, even just the getting possession back to front, like you say, has become kind of even more turgid as well. I mean, this season, um, they're getting only 29% of their possession into the attacking third. And that's the lowest mark in the Premier League. And it's yeah. if you look even past the the last five seasons, it's uh, it's the lowest mark as well. So early in the season, but um, in terms of getting the ball upfield routinely, um, so far it doesn't look too too good. It feels like we're a counter-attacking team that doesn't counter-attack. Does that make sense? We sit back in almost in preparation of the counter-attack. We, we sort of spring the trap and then when we get the ball, we lose it and we don't actually, we don't actually counter-attack. We don't get the ball forward quick enough. Um, and Almiron kind of being in and out of the team, I think, has been a big part of that because last season, his, his legs getting us up the pitch and winning free kicks and getting us out of the box and stuff like that was, was massively important. And now he's being asked to play this deeper role um, as part of a midfield three at the minute, and I just I think he's completely wasted. And I think uh, Alan Maxman playing in a in a free role there, he's just wandering about as well. I don't think it's helping. I think he he needs to be out wide, have that structure of playing out wide, and we get the ball out to him, and he drives the team forward. And and Armour on the same on the other side, but at the minute it's just not happening. Yeah, I mean, Almiron's a player I really like. And yeah, like you said, last mm. season he was, I mean, doing far more from an attacking perspective. Um, I think, yeah, he's he's definitely a very useful player as well, kind of pressuring and pushing upfield and being able to win the ball back higher up. And I think that, I mean, even that, I think Newcastle have, I mean, we can talk about the defensive stats now. I mean, they start just 5% of their possessions in the attacking third. So they're the least kind of pressing side in the Premier League. Um, and that's that's the same as last season. So winning the ball high up, just it's just... Just not in the game plan. No, it's not. And I mean, I think that marries out. Obviously, when I spent a painful evening watching all the shots <laughs> Newcastle conceded the other week, but also last season, when you, you look at them, and even more so now, they, they don't they don't press high. And, and there was the big contrast with Southampton on Friday when you had a team who really did try and press high and win the ball high up the pitch. Newcastle just don't do that. They, they let the opposition have the ball. Did you notice that we tried to do it, though? We did try to do it on Friday night. Well, a I mean, times. barely. And we but got, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did try to do it. They, they tried to do it. They, they got about five or six players in Southampton's half, and Southampton just pinged a couple of balls through us when they were away. That was it. It was awful. I mean, in terms of the, the, the stats, then Tom, how does it suggest that Newcastle do defend then, or is 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 there something you could is there something you can extrapolate from that in terms of if they don't defend like that, what would you does it suggest that they do sit back and just try and contain in that sense? Yeah, it definitely. I mean, it definitely feels like. Again, you mentioned it earlier, but it's just like the counter attack, but there's no counter. Like it's a it's yeah. a, a box that's springing it, but the spring's broken. Like there's nothing in there to to repel them forward. Um, in terms of the defensive style, I mean Newcastle are conceding more shots last se- this season than last season, which to me suggests that they're they're bunkering back even more, um, and they're even more passive without the ball. So if we look at passes per defensive action which is a metric which tells us how many passes do you let your opposition complete before you look to to get a toe in and try and win it back um newcastle allow 21 passes before they try and win it back which is the lowest in the league and it's even more passive than last year and it's something chris mean you wrote about saying there's just no energy in midfield like there's no desire to pressure and push and, uh, and try and win the ball back and that's 
that's sunk even lower this season. Part of that is is kind of stylistic. Like you can be a team who sits back and doesn't really do a lot of active defending and defending on the front foot. Um, and I mean, the team has improved last season in terms of they concede more shots, yes, but the quality of those is slightly lower. So in terms of expected goals, the team's actually improved a little bit, which is, is good because last season they were the worst defence of the league statistically. Um, and now they're, they're kind of the kind of 16th best. So overall, you've got this team which numbers-wise are Get kind of... Get top boss booked for the tour. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic <laughs> news. Thanks for that. <laughs> I mean, overall, yeah, the, the team is... 15th, 16th best in the Premier League, which it's a, maybe a little bit of an improvement, but like what, I mean, what is the, the group kind of aiming for? The, the average finish under Mike Ashley in the Premier League has, has been 13th, but the club always insist that they're, they're trying for the top 10. And that's what Bruce has said. That's what the summer signings have said. And I mean, most of the metrics certainly w- wouldn't suggest that. I mean, I just want to ask you something, Tom, maybe this is a difficult question to answer, but we had it all through last season and we've had it again this season that... A lot of games Newcastle were losing, particularly in terms, well, were winning, but in terms of XG and things like that, they were massively behind, and they were bottom of the table for XG and for possession, yeah. and all these sorts of things. Is is it normal for a team to sort of confound the statistics for for this longer period of time? And after a while, does that no longer become luck or fortune or what? However you want to you you want to put it, or at some point, is it are they gonna ret- are they gonna have to return to the mean and are they gonna are they is this gonna bear out where if these statistics continue, they will have to start losing more games like this? Yeah, I definitely think that like some teams are skilled in in, in getting early leads and holding on to that, and, and definitely like you know they will stop chances and their xg totals will reflect that but it just it doesn't feel that over such a large number of games you do want your team to be able to create and, and create you know better quality chances and concede lower quality chances so um i i don't think that from the eye test and from the stats newcastle are a team that are like you know specialists in in conserving leads at times um but it, yeah it, it definitely will kind of conflate the the figures so how how long can we possibly sustain this being this shit without it coming back to bite us in the arse that's that's kind of what i want to know <laughs> um because we it feels like we're playing with fire every week here and and it's amazing me that we're not getting beat four five six nil every week I was a bit worried when Martin Dubravka was out injured because the volume of chances that are being conceded, um, I think that Newcastle are doing well to kind of force more off target and give Carl Darlow kind of less to deal with. But even then, you know, he's conceded the fourth most number of shots in Europe this season. Um, so I do think like you are a bad run of luck away from from you know being pummeled or losing a few games of the bounce and then in a troubling position but I think that's the this it's the same case with kind of any team whose, whose metrics are around the bottom and, and kind of struggling so yeah I mean any team that's, that's <laughs> numbers are profiling around the 15th or 16th best in the league are um, kind of you know sitting on the edge to some extent I saw a start about Federico Fernandes as well he's made the most blocks of, of any defender in the Premier League which is an interesting one yeah, I think that's a sign that obviously this team is just sitting back so deep and, uh, and bunkering. Um, and I'm kind of intrigued to know like the impact of that. Obviously, if you're sitting back so deep, the only way you're going to get upfield is is quickly and, and running from deep. Do you think that from Bruce, this this kind of focus on being less of a counter-attacking or less of a running team is to try and preserve the legs over such a gruelling season that, that, that this one is? Um, because if you lose a St. Maximin, if you lose a, Maybe, yeah. I mean, Al- Almiron's not played as much. If you lose a Callum Wilson, this team goes from being either an, an, you know, an okay and not great team to an even worse one. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because the, the, 
the repra- the replacements that we have to come back in if we do lose a Callum Wilson for an extended period of time have already shown that they're they're not really in the position where they're scoring goals at this level. So Jalinton and Dwight Gale's out injured quite a lot of the time as well. Jalinton uh, isn't isn't what we would class as being an attacker or a striker. He's not a he's not a goal scorer. So it's a worry, isn't it? And and maybe yeah, maybe that's part of the reason is to try and conserve the legs. But I don't know. I mean, it it feels different again this season to what it did last year. Even last year, we still seem to carry some kind of a threat on the break. Whereas mm. this season, it, it feels like that threat isn't there anymore. Now, I don't know if that's to do with the change of shape or if it's to do with the way the personnel's been rotated. Um, but it just doesn't feel like it's there. And I, we always hark back to Rafa Benitez and, 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 and I get sick of the, the comparisons between Steve Bruce and Rafa Benitez. But under Rafa, we always seem to have a plan. Um, and the plan at the minute appears to be allow the opposition to have as much of the ball as they like and hope they don't score. Mm-hmm. And I can't see that being sustainable over a long period of time in the Premier League. Definitely tend to agree. Um, even with also like having John Joe Shelby out as well, he seems to be the only passer in, in midfield. You don't really have like even a midfield option to try and get the ball upfield. And, and, and instead of relying on the wings and the legs to get it up, the, even that's kind of gone. So yeah, I I do worry a bit for Newcastle. I think there are a couple of bright spots though. I mean, Jamal Lewis has come in and I think, I don't think he's the best individual defender, but he his crossing so far has been pretty decent. He's had 17 crosses and from that he's created six chances, um, which is kind of the highest ratio in the Premier League. So that kind of points to, you know, he's, he's being a useful asset on that left-hand side. Um, he's settled nicely. Um, and then, I mean, on the flip side, <laughs> Ryan Fraser has come in. He's, he's not really played a lot. He doesn't seem that he's match fit. He's not quite, you know, firing on all cylinders um, and he's not created any chances in the nearly 200 minutes that he's played. So it feels that there's a lot more to come from Fraser and I, I kind of hope that, you know, he, once he gets up to speed, he becomes another useful, you know, attacking asset as well. Yeah, absolutely. And with Callum Wilson as well, like you were saying, I think it's it's important that we we kind of remember the, the the impact he's had since he came in. He scored scored goals. Obviously, three of them were penalties, but he's he's in the right place at the right time, and he's doing all of those things that that we haven't seen a centre forward do for the last the last uh, couple of the last couple of seasons. Is there any is there any stats behind his his gameplay or what he's been doing and how he's been helping the team? Yeah, so I guess I can say that in terms of like the volume of, of chances that he's had for the team, um, I mean, he's responsible for 54% of Newcastle's expected goals. So all oh, okay. of pretty much all of the chances are running through him. And that's that's mm-hmm. the highest mark in the Premier League by a margin. And he's taking 21% of the team shots. But I mean, in, in Wilson now, like you say, they do have a player who is capable of, um, he feels like a more traditional Premier League centre forward. Like he's, he's fairly quick, he's strong, he's mobile, he is a great finisher at times. I think he's been a bit unlucky with his headers so far. There's been a few, um, a few chances. I m- yeah. remember specifically there was one of the Brighton game which felt pretty guilt-edged. Um, mm. But yeah, he, he he settled so well, and that's what you want. And yeah, penalties are uh, you know a bit random, and 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 you can't rely on them the whole season. Yeah. But he's he's getting chances at a good rate. Um, and yeah, you, you'd hope that he can stay fit, and um, yeah, the Ucos can rely on him for for the bulk of the goals because realistically, they're not coming from anywhere else right now. I think he's the kind of striker as well whose movement and whose whose ability is going to find him in the position to score goals naturally. Anyway, he's not someone who's going to have to who's going to have to graft out the goals. He's not he's not kind of like a Joel Linton who's going to be all over the pitch. He plays down the middle. You know, he plays inside the penalty area. That's where the ball's going to fall to him and that's where he's going to get his chances. And I think as long as he keeps doing what he's doing, he'll get plenty of chances. But I 
genuinely do think we need more players around him. Um, if we're going to be playing this 5-3-2 and St Maximin's just ghosting around wherever he wants, there needs to be some support there. And I just I don't think he's got it in the last couple of games, especially not against uh, against Southampton. He just didn't didn't have anyone anywhere near him for the majority of the match. Yeah, I mean, if you look after Wilson, you've got St Maximin, he's averaging one shot and one chance a game. Um, and, and Miguel Ambron, when he plays, just over one shot and, and less than one chance per game on average. So, yeah, very much agree. Like, it, it feels like they have the raw materials there to, to players who can keep up Wilson or can play close to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about, you know, formulating some sort of attacking plan so that that comes to fruition on the pitch, really. So, Tom, for someone who's... I know you've seen a little bit of Newcastle, but obviously you don't watch them every week, but you, you've looked in depth at the, the stats here as someone who has that sort of almost uh, objective ability to, to look away from the way Newcastle perform every week and if you just look at the raw stats what is there some positives you can draw from there to tell us yeah this is where you should feel encouraged and that Newcastle are Bruce Alona <laughs> wash your Bruce dirty Alona. mouth out Christopher <laughs> Bruce Alona you said that on Slack. I, I didn't think you'd have the the balls to actually say it on the podcast, but fair enough. Um, I mean, I I'm I'm happy that the defence has kind of seen a bit of a boost, and yes, more shots being conceded, but they're of, of a lower quality. And I think that if Newcastle can sustain that and be able to somehow, you know, actually turn the counter attack on, I do think maybe that is a strategy that isn't at least it's not going to get you relegated. Um, I think that. Like if they kept the way they were going last season and conceding just the, the volume of chances um, and the quality, that was that was not a good look. I mean, they were so reliant on last year that Dubravka had a fantastic season again um, that, you know, they they weren't in more trouble than they could have been. So I think that's that's positive. Uh, and again, I just think it's positive that they have a striker in Wilson who who <laughs> is able to lead the line and, and pretty much the number nine that they've been, um, been screaming for. But yeah, I'd, it does feel that in the squad, there are enough players to make a coherent attack. It's just on, on, on Bruce and the rest of the guys to try and find a way of putting them together in a way that uh, you know they can defend as deep as they want to currently, but they also are actually able to create some chances themselves going upfield. Well, there we go. Thanks very much to Tom Warville, uh, the Athletics Football Analytics writer. Thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, some very interesting stuff there, but in a roundabout way, just generally saying Newcastle are shit and the numbers back it up, Chris. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, which is, uh, 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 my advice to him would be to just keep looking at the numbers rather than watching Newcastle United because you probably get far more enjoyment from that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So Chris, yeah, uh, a piece came out recently from you. It came out today, actually, was it today? Fantastic piece about Newcastle United and, and supporting Newcastle United and never winning anything for a long time. Uh, do you want to give me a little bit of context on that? Yeah, so George Colgan and I wrote uh, the, this piece, basically, that there's a there's an athletic blitz series on at the moment, which is basically w- what it's really like, too, is the, is, the, is the sort of starting point. And then every uh, writer or collaboration of writers are going to go into to various different things. And, and, and covering Newcastle United, it was George's idea to think, well, what about what's it's really like to never win a trophy or never win anything? <laughs> and so, so well, yeah, yeah let's... Let, yeah, talk let's, about let's, what you know. <laughs> yeah, let, let's, let's talk about something as... Uh, 
deflating as that and and what mm. as you say what what we know so um george and i set about speaking to uh, various fans I, I interviewed you for example george you interviewed did. Uh, uh, adam winterington from from true faith and then we also spoke to, to players who've been involved in the, in the near misses in the in the trophy final defeats over the, the years so spoke to les ferdinand olivier bernard i spoke to sir john hall and basically just to find out what, what is it what is it about Newcastle? And why? What? What is it actually like to, to live those moments? And, and do they still linger now? I know. I mean, speaking to you, for example, you said that you still can't. What is it you said about Graham Fenton? I still can't hear the name Fenton without just sort of <laughs> feeling sick, basically. Also, what I will say is, me crying and shoveling a packet of biscuits in my mouth is not what our class an interview, Chris. But if you want to call it that, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I have to. I have to say, like it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where you kind of get used to it after a while. But then, I, I mentioned this to you when we were talking about this: was that I look at sort of Man City fans or Man United fans, and they win an FA Cup, or they win they win a, a, a you know a Carabao Cup or whatever, and you see them and they don't celebrate it with any kind of vigor whatsoever. And I think you're spoiled. Give it back. You don't know what you're doing with that. Give it here. We'll show you how to celebrate winning a trophy, even if it is the Carabao Cup. Do you know what I mean? It just, uh, it really gets on my nerves that the the value of these things has been sort of, you know, it's been diminished so much over the years now that I, I still look at the FA Cup and dream about it as I did when I was a kid. Yeah, and, and there's the, I suppose this relates to the Mark, the Mark Lawrence quote at the start of the, the show that we mentioned. I mean, you mentioned this to me the other day that, the, that Newcastle fans must be the least demanding of supporters given Absolutely. everything that they've gone through. And and it's interesting because within the piece, we sort of look back at, at back to 1969 and obviously the last time Newcastle actually lifted a major trophy, a major trophy which, by the way, hasn't existed for 49 years. But the last time they listed <laughs> a major trophy, man walked on the moon a month after for the first time. Yeah. And this is... But back then, they were second in the list of tro- of trophy winners. Only Aston Villa had won more trophies than Newcastle. And every other team, in, 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 they're still ninth in the list because they won so many early in their career, but it's bec- in their in their lifespan. But but it's become the, the club that just can't quite get there. And quite a few of them, like Rob Lee and Warren Barton and various players, that describe it like that. Les Ferdinand yeah. says that it haunts them every day, the, 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 the thought of how we didn't win this. And so John Hall yeah. talks about failing and the, the, the goal back then. And this is the difference in the 90s and the early 2000s. Newcastle were a club geared to try and win things. There was actually that Absolutely, full yeah. attempt to it. And obviously that's changed during the Mike Ashley era and there was even uh, open disdain for the Cups for a long period of time. But Newcastle fans, uh, several generations of Newcastle fans are, 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 have witnessed the, these, these agonising near misses and still haven't... Alan Shearer in, in the piece, he's, he, he turned 50 this year and he's yet to see Newcastle United win something in his lifetime. Unbelievable, that's, isn't it? That, that's that, this Incredible. just. We've had a lot of fans from other clubs who've uh, who've tweeted about the piece this morning. And I understand that they are oh, well, well other, say Sunderland fans or whatever are, are saying, "Well, look where our club is now." And I understand it, and it's all relative. And, and other clubs are is, in yeah. very difficult situations. Is. But as we say within the piece, nobody does losing in quite glorious fashion, quite like Newcastle United <laughs> does. And nobody, nobody yeah. has, nobody is associated with losing in that way in quite the way Newcastle United are. So basically, the point of the piece, which which you can read on the Athletic at the moment, was to sort of to look into that and just to try and go a little bit behind that and actually 
find out what were the people involved, both fans but also those at the club at the time, those who've experienced it. What was it actually like to experience them and was it different at Newcastle United elsewhere? And that was one of the interesting quotes I thought from Les Ferdinand was he basically said, yeah, it was different at Newcastle because anyone will tell you, anyone who's played for them will tell you, I wanted to win something for those supporters as, as much as, as anything else. And again, that, that that's almost become cliched, but that it isn't a cliche in the sense that those players genuinely mean it. He, he, he could... He, he could hear the emotion in his voice when he was talking about that and and yeah that's uh so yes it's probably not the m- most enjoyable reading if, if you're looking for something uplifting but <laughs> but uh yeah. i think that it's 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 very interesting to hear those people who are actually involved talk about it it is an absolutely fantastic piece chris now i've read through it this morning it is brilliant um and if you want if you want to check that out get yourselves on www.theathletic.com forward slash uh, Newcastle pod where you can subscribe at the moment for one pound a week uh, the piece itself it, it, it's got so many different names in there um, so many fantastic names in Newcastle's history and obviously I'm in there as well so you know you might want to skip over that bit um, but it is it, it's a fantastic piece and it's a long read as well it's, but it's a great piece of writing by Chris and George um, what I will say though Chris is can you imagine what it would be like if we did win something can you just imagine the feeling it would be. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've given this lots of consideration over the years, and I think it would be dangerous if Newcastle won something. It would be dangerous to me. It would be dangerous to the people I know around me. I think within a few days I'd probably be sort of upside down on top of a phone box, completely naked and on fire. Possibly I don't. <laughs> but I just think. Imagine if. Imagine if we did it. Imagine if we won. Even a Carabao. Imagine if we won a corner, Chris. Fuck. Oh my God. Well, I, uh, there's a there's a brilliant quote from within it from from Charlotte Robson of Truth Earth where she basically says that she talks about in Philadelphia when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in, in 2017 and they had to grease the lampposts to stop people claiming <laughs> them. And she says that, that after grease the entire city here. And, and she's, right, she's right. I mean, it's just it is one of those things where you struggle yeah. to comprehend exactly what it would be like, but at the same time you do you know it would be like nothing else yeah. that this city's probably experienced in such a long time. It would be incredible. A massive rave on the Time Bridge. That's what we should do. Uh, yeah, well, thanks very much, Chris. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, George will hopefully be back next week, uh, and we shall speak to you all very soon. Make sure you get yourselves on www.theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod, and you can subscribe for £1 a week and engorge yourself in all that lovely, lovely football content. My name's Taylor Payne. I've been joined by Chris Woff, and we shall speak to you very, very soon. Cheers. Goodbye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 